Welcome to Translating Aging, a podcast about how the science of human longevity is transforming the way we treat disease. In each episode, we bring you conversations with the researchers, entrepreneurs, and investors who are working at the vanguard of the field. Translating Aging is produced by BioAge, a clinical stage biotechnology company developing therapies to extend healthy lifespan by targeting the molecular causes of aging. I'm Chris Patil, VP of Media at BioAge. For today's conversation, I'm joined by Dr. Hanadi Youssef, CEO and co-founder of Juvena Therapeutics, a Palo Alto-based biopharma startup that's working to develop protein-based therapies to treat a variety of degenerative, age-related, and rare diseases. Dr. Youssef, thank you for being with us. Uh, thank you, Chris, so much for having me. I want to start the discussion by asking you about a thought-provoking statement that appears on Juvena's website. As we all know, tissues deteriorate as we get older, and our ability to heal slows down, which leads to a wide range of age-related diseases. So, Juvena set out to find regenerative cures for these disorders. Here's the line I found so wonderful. Through years of dedicated research, we discovered that the cures have been within us all along. So, what do you mean by that? What we really mean by that is that during the aging process, critical regenerative protein signaling pathways that are important for instructing our cells and tissues within our bodies start to change with aging. They start becoming overexpressed or underexpressed. You have this change and loss of healthy crosstalk between pathways that can instruct cells, leading to what's known as a loss of tissue homeostasis. And so by understanding what is changing within us, we can actually use that understanding to target those protein signaling pathways that are so important in regulating stem cell function, immune cell function, tissue regeneration and repair in order to rejuvenate tissues and to actually reverse the aging process and to bring our bodies back internally to a more healthy state. So to identify these novel regenerative signaling proteins that can rejuvenate any tissue type, Juvena uses a machine learning platform. Could you tell us a little bit about how it works? So ultimately, our premise at Juvena is to develop protein-based therapies that can target these critical regenerative signaling pathways in our bodies to promote better regeneration. And we're doing that uniquely by mining the secretome of the most pro-regenerative source of cells on planet Earth for people, which are human, embryonic, also known as pluripotent stem cells. These stem cells secrete a variety of signaling proteins that are meant to signal to stem cells to promote specific tissue differentiation. And what we learned is that by repurposing these proteins from development to really age environments, we could actually use these proteins to uh, enhance age tissue regeneration, promote age stem cell function, and improve regeneration repair for a variety of tissue types. In order to really mine the secretome and translate it into protein-based therapies, that can treat people, we have really developed an efficient machine learning enhanced high throughput screening and preclinical development platform, a really efficient drug discovery platform that enables us to actually predict and identify what proteins secreted by stem cells can in fact be repurposed to target the major causes of tissue degeneration in the elderly. What kind of data is the machine learning platform operating on? Is this imaging data? Are you doing kind of high content screening? What we're doing is we are really combining several data modalities, namely proteomics, a variety of omics data sets such as transcriptomics, really focusing on 
human aging and studying evolutionarily conserved pathways and, and animal models. And we're using image-based data modalities through high throughput screening using primary human stem cells that we derive from age and disease patients in order to ultimately create a system that's more cost-effective and really systematically be able to screen proteins for their ability to enhance specific phenotypes associated with the aging process. Ultimately, what we're doing with our machine learning enhanced platform is really building a map of regenerative protein biology with a compounding database that's enabled by an array of in-house machine learning and computational tools that we establish using these data modalities to really identify the proteins that have therapeutic potential. And the aging models that you're using are actually cells derived from people who are themselves aged or who have an age-related disease. Did I understand that correctly? Yes, yes. That's a key aspect of our phenotype-based high-throughput screening is to actually test potential protein therapeutic candidates on stem and precursor cells derived from people of a certain age where we know that they are no longer functioning as well. The library of rejuvenation proteins were derived from embryonic stem cells, but in your in vitro and culture experiments, you're using stem cells that are derived from adult human beings. Is Am I getting that? Yes, yes. Okay. We're starting with human embryonic stem cells, but we may ultimately expand to other highly regenerative stem cell secretomes. It's really this concept that stem cells themselves are secreting highly potent paracrine and endocrine signaling factors that can be used to promote tissue regeneration. And so our library is derived of those regenerative proteins, our proprietary library, but then our screening is done by testing, as you mentioned, aged human stem and progenitor cells and potentially other model systems as well. So the candidate leads that you're developing are themselves proteins. Yes. So what are the advantages of this approach relative to conventional kinds of lead compound identification and discovery? The way that we are really approaching is this, that we know that proteins themselves are the major signaling molecule of the body. Signaling proteins are already produced naturally by the body in order to really communicate very selectively and specifically to cells that, that specific proteins will bind to based on their receptor expression in order to induce a cascade of protein signal transduction. A lot of these signaling proteins will often lead to significant pathway crosstalk. And so at Juvena, as sort of our first generation of protein therapeutics, we're really focused on taking these agonistic signaling proteins and turning them themselves into therapies due to their potency, efficacy, and just natural ability to really target specific cells such as aged stem or precursor cells in our body in order to really revitalize them and enhance their ability to regenerate tissue and promote repair. What excites us about actually turning signaling proteins into therapeutics is their ability to really interact at a more of a systems biology level with multiple pathways. You know, it's not about, in our view, targeting one certain downstream intercellular target but ultimately trying to recalibrate signaling, signal transduction and the, the extracellular environment of cells to more youthful levels to improve their function and ability to really get the right cues to regenerate and repair, meaning even be able to reverse the aging process to promote regeneration through this regenerative medicine approach. Wow, that sounds ambitious. So to play devil's advocate for a second, if you're touching a lot of pathways, it seems like you're opening yourself up to a potentially larger number of side effects. Is that a potential challenge of the approach? 
There is definitely going to be challenges with every therapeutic intervention targeting the biology of aging when it comes to also considering safety, potential side effects. What's beautiful about proteins is they actually are, in many ways, as a category of biologics, one of the more safer therapeutic methods where because of their greater specificity to their tissue target and the body's kind of natural receptivity to proteins, we're less worried about toxicity. But of course, ultimately, the goal is to calibrate homeostatic levels of signaling to more youthful levels and not try to over-induce any one particular pathway. And so by really recalibrating and being careful about dosing, we'll be able to avoid things like oncogenic transformation. And that would be maybe the biggest sort of side effect or potential worry with any intervention done in an unhealthy age environment is ensuring that what you're doing is restoring homeostasis and not tipping the balance too aggressively in the wrong direction or in the opposite direction of where it already is. As we know, though, aging per se is not a clinical indication, or at least not one that's recognized by regulatory bodies. So what's Juvena's strategy for bringing drugs to market? What's the first indication that you're targeting? We know that aging itself is the greatest risk factor for multiple diseases, including in every single tissue type in the body. So aging itself, for example, is the greatest risk factor to what results in brain aging, leading to dementias and degenerative diseases such as Alzheimer's and Parkinson's. It's also a fact of life that as we all age, our muscle begins to decline and strengthen function and we start to also lose muscle mass. For some folks, it's so severe that it can lead to actual manifestation of known diseases and accepted diseases such as frailty and sarcopenia. Juvena's approach through our platform has been to enhance tissue-specific regeneration through identifying uh, signaling proteins that can promote, for example, in muscle, muscle precursor function to promote better muscle differentiation, reduce atrophy, and improve strength and function. And so the way that we're targeting translating our therapeutics is by really focusing on first rejuvenating a given tissue type. And once we've identified several protein therapeutic candidates that act individually or in combinations, to recalibrate signaling, to restore homeostasis of the given tissue to promote its regeneration and therefore improve phenotypic outputs, such as in the case of muscle strength and function, we then have performed really thorough indication selection analyses to really then understand, well, within that tissue type, what are common known diseases, age-related diseases that already have uh, FDA-accepted disease indications that we can target? So in the case of skeletal muscle, we have now established a pipeline that can be used to treat sarcopenia, things like potentially cachexias. And then interestingly too, what we've learned is that many of the pathways involved in age-related tissue degeneration are also pathways that are deregulated in rare diseases. So we are right now really interested in bringing our muscle regeneration protein therapeutic to market for a rare neuromuscular muscle-wasting disease known as myotonic dystrophy type 1, which is increasingly being recognized as, in many aspects, being, in many ways, an accelerated aging disease. I see. So it's sort of a progeria that's segmental or specific to muscle. That's a, definitely a lens or scope that we're looking at the disease and considering it as. And in fact, our protein therapeutics that we've identified that can enhance aged skeletal muscle regeneration, strength and function are also working in, for example, enhancing muscle precursor cell function and myogenesis 
in muscle precursors isolated from patients with myotonic dystrophy type 1. And the pathways by which they're targeting are also pathways that are deregulated in this rare disease similar to aging. So that's the method that Juven is taking for now, is really focusing on a tissue type. And once we identify several exciting candidates that have therapeutic properties, really then figuring out what are diseases associated with that tissue we can target and is there commonalities between some of these huge unmet needs with very hard clinical and regulatory paths to approval and, for example, rare orphan diseases that exhibit the same types of phenotypes, but just at a younger age, right? The same type of muscle wasting, loss of strength, onset of frailty, multi-organ degeneration. And I will let you know in the next few years how that works out. <laughs> <laughs> that leads me to my next question, which is understanding that you don't have a crystal ball in front of you. Do you have a rough timeline in terms of uh, how long it will take before you uh, put a drug into the clinic for trials? Our timeline is definitely based on ensuring that we have the resources to take our now lead protein therapeutic candidate through what's called investigation into drug enabling studies to get the FDA to approve our lead protein therapeutic candidate that we've engineered and modified to have even better therapeutic and drug-like properties to actually recognize it as an, an investigation or new drug. We are hoping to get that in the next about year and a half. And our hope is that by 2023, we will be conducting what would be a combined phase one, two clinical study for patients with myotonic dystrophy type one to test if our regenerative therapeutic can in fact do what it's doing in all the models and all the preclinical data today, which is enhance strength and function and reverse some of these you know, major phenotypic hallmarks associated with tissue degeneration. Thanks for breaking that down for us. What else is coming down the pipeline at Juvena? We have really established at Juvena a pipeline that is enabled by a unique platform with a proprietary library of therapeutic candidates that have the ability to enhance regeneration of every tissue type in the body. And so as we build up our platform and our in-house toolkit, an array of machine learning and computational tools that enable rapid high-throughput drug screening and preclinical validation, what's really coming is now a pipeline of several protein therapeutic candidates for major tissue-specific degenerative diseases, including in the areas of neurodegeneration. For example, we're also considering hepatic and, and renal regeneration and a variety of other tissue types. And so, you know, what's really coming is our ultimate goal of enhancing and promoting health span and reversing multiple age-related and chronic diseases by developing a pipeline of protein therapies that act by rejuvenating your own body's endogenous stem and precursor cell function to enhance regeneration and improve and rejuvenate your life, your our, our lives. Fascinating. Well, it sounds like an ambitious program, but uh, speaking for myself, certainly, and for, I think, anyone else who plans on getting old, I hope it goes very well. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> for the second part of our conversation, one of the things I've really been excited to talk to you about is the transition from academic science to becoming an entrepreneur in this field. You come from an academic background, and this is your first company, right? It is my first company. Okay. Well, I also come from the research side of biology, and before I joined BioAge, I had a pretty hazy view of how one goes about starting a company. And to be honest, I think I still have a lot to learn about it. So like I said, I wanted to focus on how one goes from researcher to CEO and I uh, focusing on details from your story. So what were you doing just for background? What were you doing before you took the first step toward co-founding Juvena? I am a neurobiologist, stem cell biologist, and aging biologist by training. 
um, as I was really building the business model and starting to talk to investors to launch Juvenile Therapeutics, I was a postdoctoral researcher at Stanford, really focused on studying mechanisms underlying brain aging and communication of blood with the brain to really drive the aging process. So which came first, the idea for the company or the idea that you wanted to found a company about something? Or did the, the two kind of co-evolve? What came first for me was really a passion in general in biomedical research and in the kind of startup environment and, and, and in building companies. And so when I was in high school, I started doing research through a kind of science research honors program at Regeneron Pharmaceuticals which we've not all heard of Regeneron. Uh, at the time, it was a small entering kind of mid-sized but rapidly growing company with an amazing kind of entrepreneurial environment. And I just fell in love there with both drug discovery, but also the idea that by creating and discovering things and inventing science, we can actually take those inventions and translate them into products and build companies. And so I think even at that age around 16, I, I knew that I wanted to get a PhD and then I wanted to likely be, be an entrepreneur. And if I had the opportunity to discover exciting science and, and make you know discoveries that can potentially help with developing therapies, that it was going to be uh, in the biomedical field. You know, then it wasn't really like, while well, I was excited about this, of course, I was you know, a science nerd and just kind of focused on doing research. It was in graduate school towards the end of my first year of my PhD when I took a course on stem cells and directed organogenesis with Professor Irina Conboy, who is a thought leader and leading researcher in the biology of aging and the biology of muscle aging, that I really fell in love with the concept that I actually understanding the mechanisms driving the aging process and specifically the changes in signaling that occur that lead to loss of stem cell function with age, we could actually use that understanding to reverse the process to rejuvenate stem cell function, to revitalize the body, and to then really reverse aging. And so that got me so excited. And I just fell in love with that. I knew that that is what I wanted to dedicate the rest of my life to doing. And so during my dissertation thesis, I was really focused on understanding protein signaling pathways and elucidating mechanisms by which both neural and muscle stem cell function declines with age, and then using that understanding to target those pathways to improve their function and to promote better neurogenesis and new neuron formation, as well as myogenesis and muscle regeneration. And it was kind of during those that time period that my colleagues and I discovered the regenerative potential proteins in the human embryonic stem cell secretome and how these proteins can actually target some of these specific age-related pathways that are deregulated to revitalize aged human stem cell function. And that's really where the idea of Juvena was born. But it wasn't until many years later, during my postdoc, after years of planning and networking and honestly getting the guts, <laughs> you know, to actually do this, that and, and meeting my co-founder that we launched Juvena. And, and I decided that that was the career and path that I wanted to really take. That is a great description of the inspiration and motivation for the company. So once you'd met your co-founder, what were the first practical steps that you took in the direction of actually founding the company? You know, and during this time too, I mean, I'd spent a couple of years, I'd say networking. I, you know, had the opportunity to meet. What's amazing about Silicon Valley and the biotech community is that, you know, there is a community, right? There are investors on Sand Hill and I was right down the road at Stanford. And so 
you know, I had the opportunity at conferences and through knowing folks, including like Kristen, the CEO of, you know, BioAge, who really also inspired me to me and kind of build a plan and network and think about how to do this. And so after really a year of creating a business model, pitch deck, you know, really a plan to, you know, how much do we really need to seed the company and to establish the machinery enhanced drug protein drug discovery platform that I was envisioning and a path to translation. Once I did that and came up with the plan and my co-founder and I met and he is a proteomics expert and he decided to really co-lead this, this endeavor. That's when we were introed by entrepreneurs we knew to investors and began pitching our story and our vision for Juvena. Um, of course, actually prior to that was also meeting lawyers, corporate lawyers that would be willing to also help us incorporate and do some work before we could even start paying them, right? That kind of believed in us and said, this is a great idea. I love that you're starting a company. I'm going to be your attorney to help, you know, the logistics of making this happen. So once I incorporated, had my co-founder, had the business model, the pitch deck, entrepreneurs and other folks I'd networked and met in the community, started making intros to investors. And then that's when the pitching happened. And after a few months of of pitching, we secured uh, our seed financing round. And that is really what laid the foundations of having the resources to start recruiting a team and establish our data and our platform. During that process, if I can ask a sort of personal question, what were you the most afraid of? Like, what was your biggest concern during this transition? For me, it was the dilemma that I was obsessed and super passionate with my postdoc research. At the same time that I started pitching, in fact, the week that I got my first term sheet for our seed round was the week that my major project in postdoc work got into review in nature medicine. And I was also being recruited by universities for academic positions. So it was sort of this kind of battle for me of, I loved my research. I could really envision myself leading an academic lab and a faculty position to move this forward, really focused on brain aging. But then there was this also entrepreneurial opportunity to start my company and to instead really focus more on translational work and really building a platform that enables a pipeline of protein therapeutics. And so for me, it was that battle of wanting to succeed with my postdoc and see my research to fruition, which uh, thankfully I did and, and my colleagues and I did. And, and I'm so grateful to my postdoc mentor, uh, Professor Tony Weiss-Cray, for his incredible support during this time and in the project in five years of mentorship. But you know, at some point, I had to just say, I'm going to step away from that and I'm going to embrace Juvena and really build this company. So that was the, I feel like the most difficult thing for me. It was just these kind of two paths and deciding to put one on hold or on the side with the choice of really focusing on entrepreneurship and my role as CEO. Yeah, I think there's a lot of that tension for people from an academic background is we're trained for such a long time to do this one thing and all the people who are surrounding us and who we look up to and admire, like our mentors and our colleagues, they're also academics and they're pursuing the academic track. And it it feels pretty risky to step off. Super risky. And as you say, you can't do both. Certainly at this stage of your career, you can't both have an academic lab and found a company. And it's a hard choice. One thing to kind of add to that, there are you know scientific co-founders, incredible professors who have so many inventions and ideas coming out of their labs that do co-found companies. But I think what is hard is being, you know, if you want to really be the operator, right, build it. If you want to potentially um, have a role such as a CEO or CSO or COO type role, that really is 100%, 100,000% dedication. I learned that. And I learned that. So I agree. That's an excellent point. Speaking about your path towards success for Juvena, 
Longevity science is it's undeniably hot right now in the biotech startup world, particularly in the Bay Area. But it's also a sector that's still waiting for a big win. That is to say, there's, there's not yet a drug that shows, yes, biology of aging-based approaches are good propositions, not because they have a great story, which they do, but because there's a proven record of success in the approach. In your experience, and I really just want your personal experience and your thoughts on this matter, how do investors react to Juvena's aging focus? Is it an asset or is it an obstacle? Is the wind at your back or are you running into resistance? In my mind, Juvena is a regenerative medicine startup dedicated to developing protein-based therapies for degenerative diseases. And it's our understanding of the biology of aging, aging being the greatest risk factor and kind of cause that leads to many of these degenerative phenotypes that fuels the way in which we go about our high-throughput screening or drug discovery at high-throughput screening and preclinical development. And so when I talk to investors, it's more what I'm running into in terms of some difficulties is in our first kind of major tissue type that we've made the most progress in has been muscle aging and muscle degeneration, muscle degenerative diseases. You know, this is a tissue type that has had very few successes and a ton of failures in terms of the few, and it's also really under-invested in and understudied. So it's like gotten way less failures in, in terms like compared to things like cancer or other types of uh, major indications, but it's just that there's, that the few attempts so far have not had major wins. And that's what I'm finding to be the most difficult with investors is their fear of going after tissue-specific indications that have not had either a lot of investment already or the few attempts at translating therapies have not been fruitful or successful in the clinic. And so that has been, I think, more. And then, you know, saying we want to target age-related diseases, the other things investors fear is just the expense associated with some of these indications, right? Like some of the clinical trials, the kind of regulatory hurdles, you know, the FDA, and I feel like a lot of regulatory agencies have not really caught up with this view of, really targeting aging as a disease or understanding that by targeting aging mechanisms, that could be the best way to treat some of these age-related diseases. So just the path is muddy. Some of the clinical trial design and endpoints are still muddy. Biomarkers are still being developed. So that's been, I think, the concern is just how can you cheaply and effectively and cost-effectively get a therapy to the market? And the truth is a lot of you know these later stage developments are pricey. Right. That's why, you know, all biotech and therapeutic investment tends to be on the pricier side compared to other industries. So that's what I'm experiencing. Those sound like valid concerns. When an investor, a potential investor expresses those concerns, how do you put their mind at ease? A few things. I mean, I think a lot of it is kind of also just looking at just the huge market potential and the excitement. Yes, this is targeting maybe aging could be at this point in time without clear wind so far risky, but the company that succeeds in this, the company that succeeds in developing a robust pipeline of therapies for major age-related diseases that right now don't have FDA-approved therapies, and we do in fact have a looming healthcare crisis and burden with an aging global population in which, you know, in the next decade, the largest demographic of people will be those over the age of 60. I think it's really in investors that just realize it's worth the risk because the company that succeeds will be potentially one of the most lucrative, successful, and sought out after companies in the, in the world. So I think that excitement to that, plus having a really pragmatic approach, right? Having really high quality data, high quality science, a platform with a lot of optionality, 
a pipeline of diverse candidates and so multiple shots and hits on goal and really starting to also educate big pharma and pharmaceutical companies that could potentially partner with some of the smart biotechs that are doing some of the more innovative drug discovery to de-risk that translational approach to potentially get into co-development partnerships. I see a lot of kind of that helping investors feel that the business plan is a little bit more de-risked. And so, of course, Juven is working on that. And then lastly, is it's also approach. As mentioned, many of our therapies that are developed for age-related diseases, we're seeing also have efficacy in at least preclinical models of rare degenerative diseases. And so if we can get our therapeutic to market first for a rare disease with also a huge unmet need, that also is a way to kind of de-risk the cost associated with translating that lead program, also get the validation of the platform and approach, and hopefully open the doors then to some of the more costly programs in the pipeline, let's just say. I think that sounds like a very convincing set of answers, and I hope that the investors feel the same way. I want to go back to an earlier topic of our conversation and discuss an issue related to entry from academia and from other sectors into aging pharma and aging biotech. We've pointed out before on this program that in aging pharma, more than maybe in any other sector of biotech, companies have collegial relationships rather than competitive relationships, and we're very supportive of each other. I think because we're all sort of hoping that the value proposition of the field is going to be recognized, and there's a huge upside potential for everyone who's getting in early. Notably in that regard, a couple of days ago, you announced that you're a founding fellow and mentor for a new initiative called On Deck Longevity Biotech Fellowship, in which top experts in aging biology and longevity entrepreneurs and investors who are interested in reversing aging are coming together to create a new generation of longevity biotech founders. So can you tell us a bit about On Deck and your role in that initiative? Happy to share more about what I know so far of the program and my involvement. So Nathan Chang had approached me via LinkedIn and email to really share more about his idea to create a fellowship program that really increases, as mentioned, the amount of scientists and researchers and inventors that want to get into health span and longevity and into building companies that are developing therapies for age-related diseases. And I just thought it was a brilliant idea. I, I asked him a few questions of how the program will be run and realized that it's something that I'm you know, I've always been passionate about in the sense that not having had many role models myself in starting Juvenon and launching this, I am really excited to help build the community of founders and also ensure that there is diversity in the amount of folks from different backgrounds that are involved in this field in, in longevity medicine and, and health span and, and therapeutics for age-related diseases. So I am thrilled to be a kind of founding fellow and mentor in the program where it's going to be my goal to help, you know, serve both as a role model, but also support and sort of the ropes and, and even learn from other founders from very diverse backgrounds in ensuring that we have a community that is open to people from all over the world, really, and from every walk of life, if they want to be involved in this revolution, right? And this revolution in, in biotech and the way that we're now targeting the biology of aging to really create a pipeline of therapies that for health span as opposed to, you know, health care and health span as opposed to sick care. I think that's a very noble motivation. In the process of working as a mentor for On Deck, I'm going to ask the following question in two ways, actually. What advice are you going to give the prospective founders that you interact with? The other way to ask that question is, if you had a time machine and can go back and give yourself any advice, 
what would you have told yourself when you started this process? Some advice I wish I had kind of going into this is really looking at what the target product profile of a drug you want to develop is. And as early as possible, creating a plan to really get to that preclinical stage and that translational stage where you need significantly more investment. So I think, you know, a lot of kind of seed stage companies, I've noticed that there are a lot of seed stage investors, especially kind of biotech investors or kind of tech agnostic that just love the idea of developing therapies for aging and see the kind of potential of this huge market and are less risk averse, more into kind of like, let's do this. But then they're not as well connected with then the series A investors and B investors that will want a program to be much more de-risked and are really then looking more at the kind of economics of can you choose an indication with a clear clinical and regulatory path? Do you have a drug within these kind of categories? What's the safety profile, the kind of that target product profile and indication selection path that really will get you funding at that next stage? And so I think from early on, I would encourage potential founders and entrepreneurs and folks wanting to come up with ideas and build companies to think of, you know, how can you create a robust platform and potential pipeline of drug candidates? How can you target pathways involved in aging, but that could also translate to FDA accepted disease indications? And truly, you know, how much data do you really need to go out for your A? Because it's always going to be way more than you think. And so try to also consult with later stage investors, not just seed stage investors. I'm trying to figure out your plans, your milestones, and did you do what's truly needed for that next tranche of funding? I think that sounds like really valuable advice. And uh, I'm really interested in seeing what happens with OnDeck. I just wanted to mention that I think the fellowship application is still open. We'll be sure to include links to OnDeck in the show notes for this episode. As we close, there are two questions that I like to ask everyone who appears on the show, because it's been really interesting to hear the diversity of responses and kind of compare and contrast among people with different backgrounds. So the first one is, what topic in longevity science that you're not working on do you find the most interesting? That is a great question, Chris. And I don't think there's just one topic. There's a variety of topics in the aging biology field that are just fascinating. And to you know, list a few that I find particularly interesting is the study of human centenarians and really trying to understand mechanistically what is it that allows centenarians to be so resilient to disease? Where not only do they have this much extended lifespan, they have a much extended health span and spend way less of their lives sick. And so I think that is fascinating. And then really then using that to get the concept of defining markers and features of what healthy aging versus unhealthy aging is and looks like. Where it's not just that we want to target the biology of aging, some people are fortunate enough to live decades more than others right into their hundreds. And it's not until just kind of those last few years of their life do they get major chronic illnesses and maybe even just kind of pass away in their sleep. Well, for the rest of us, a lot of these illnesses and chronic illnesses really start to manifest even as early as like our 50s. And so really trying to understand you know, why some folks have healthy aging versus unhealthy could be really fascinating as well as reproductive fertility in women. And so I think that there's still not a lot really understood in terms of the biology of why it is that, you know, despite us having been able to really increase lifespan significantly over the last several decades, the kind of ceiling for which women can still have children sort of, you know, when menopause starts to occur on average has not really increased much at all. And so really trying to understand kind of 
reproductive fertility in women and how can we understand what is the cause of difference in rates and how can we really increase that window and the window by which window women are having babies, I think is something I'm fascinated with. And then another that my co-founder is also really fascinated with is um, plant aging. We, we study animals, but I think plants too are very fascinating in the sense that some plants have just a year life cycle while others can live thousands of years, like some trees. And so, you know, what is it in the plant kingdom and biology that allows some to have such long kind of life lifespans? I can go on and on, but I'd say that's a good place to start. It's a pretty bottomless field. I mean, the reproductive aging idea is particularly of interest to a lot of people in the field. And happily, the Buck Institute for Research on Aging here in the Bay Area has recently um, initiated a reproductive aging institute within the Buck. And uh, we plan to have Dr. Jennifer Garrison, who's uh, one of the movers and shakers behind that, that program, as a future guest on the podcast. So... The second thematic question that I wanted to ask, and the final question I'll ask you is, where do you think the field of aging pharma and longevity science will be in five to 10 years? I think in five to 10 years, we'll get increasing acceptance of aging as a risk factor to diseases. And so more of an acceptance of therapeutics that can target the aging process. I think that the FDA will start recognizing more diseases driven by the biology of aging. So there'll be maybe better kind of paths to FDA approval and through kind of regulatory. I also think that there is going to be, you know, an increase in kind of what Juvena and, and BioAgent and many companies are really excelling at and developing, which is the use of both systems biology and machine learning and bioinformatics identify therapies and also even to help analyze biomarkers. And then lastly, I think there'll also be some more personalized medicine in aging in the sense that some folks are more prone to specific age-related diseases than others, really understanding the kind of genetic basis or underlying basis and using that personalized approach to understanding someone's um, kind of aging path to both initiate preventative measures, lifestyle changes, as well as therapeutics that are more targeted to their biology of aging. Oh, that's a fascinating idea. Well, I think that brings us to the end of our program. And I just wanted to say, Dr. Yusuf, thank you so much for sharing your thoughts with us today. Thank you so much, Chris, for having me and for this podcast. I think this is such a great initiative and I cannot wait to continue to listen to all the other amazing podcasts that you guys have put together for the field. So thank you. Oh, thank you so much. Many thanks as well to our listeners and subscribers. If anyone has feedback or suggestions for future episodes of Translating Aging, you can contact us by email at podcast at bioagelabs.com or on Twitter at bioagepodcast. You can also follow our sponsor, BioAge Labs, on Twitter and LinkedIn. We'll see you next time.